bows by our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this opportunity to fellowship together in the unity of the faith, Father, a faith that you've provided each one of us, not just as individuals, but also corporately as members of the body of your Son. Father, what a privilege and a blessing a night like this is. May we never become familiar with it, but rather receive it for what it is. It's grace motivated by your love. It's so exciting because we know also that every lesson that you give us from this pulpit was ordained by you from eternity past. And so we know if we're sitting here this evening, we were meant to be here. And we're just so grateful for your sovereignty and your divine design for all the ages and for delivering us. Father, we pray for those that are ill in the congregation, and we pray also for those that are still lost in this world. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your son's work on the cross 2,000 years ago to cancel out that debt and make an evening like this even a reality. We do just ask your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, what is repentance and who gets to define it? Part 28. A lot of connective tissue, a pretty lengthy sidebar this evening. Uh, but we are sort of uh, coming to a close on this topic of repentance. We've seen just, I mean, passage after passage after passage and proof point after proof point after proof point of the importance of including uh, repentance in the gospel conversation uh, and to exclude it. Uh, means we're remiss uh, and somewhat defunct, if you would, on the Great Commission itself, which is something we don't want to do. Uh, we're trying to save people, not confuse them or lie to them. Uh, we didn't get to finish our lesson on Sunday, so we need to do that before we can put this amazing series to rest soon. As is often the case, the most profound principles, though, from our lessons are often the most simply stated. For example... This one uh, really stood out for me uh, on uh, this past week. Perspective being the greatest mirror uh, we've ever been given is the Word of God. The greatest mirror we've ever been given is the Word of God. In other words, if you want to understand uh, God's plan for you, God's creation, you are part of His creation, you want to understand His purpose uh, for keeping believers around after salvation. If you want to understand any of that stuff, if you want to understand where you should derive your self-esteem from even, what gets you out of bed in the morning, you go to the Word of God. You go to the ultimate authority on life itself. And that's what we have. Uh, Jesus Christ isn't walking around in the flesh anymore. Um, but we have Him here. We have His Word. We have His mind. Um, and that's what counts in this world. And so if you want to be, you know, as Paul would say, judged by anyone, be judged by the Word. Uh, there's just way too much judgment cast our way uh, ever since we're little toddlers even as to how we're utter failures and we're hardly measuring up uh, and yet the bar keeps moving and moving and that's part of the, the trap known as the world system. And we're not supposed to buy any of that. And we're not supposed to regress into any of that as believers especially. So the greatest mirror we've ever been given is the Word of God. If you lack motivation, maybe because you're depressed all the time even, then receive the Lord's sweet remedy by reading your Bible. Receive the Lord's sweet remedy by reading your Bible Reading your Bible is like taking your medicine. You have to actually take antibiotics for them to work, right? You actually have to take them. You actually have to take in the Word of God for it to do its job. So some more perspective. While they may not realize it at first, what a humble person finds in the Bible are the very motivating factors for living itself. Isn't that like what everybody's after? Oh, what's the meaning of life? You know, Monty Python and all, you know. What's the meaning of life? Everybody asks that big question, right? 
Well, it's right there in the Bible. It's not like God's this cruel taskmaster that said, you know, he, 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 I created, I'm never going to give you a clue as to what uh, I want from you or what my plans are for you. Matter of fact, this is a pretty thick book. So while may, they may not realize it at first, what a humble person finds in the Bible are the very motivating factors for living itself. Purpose, self-esteem, direction, for starters. Purpose, self-esteem, direction. And those aren't punchlines that you get from a high school counselor. That's the real deal. Purpose, self-esteem, and direction. These are gifts from God meant to annihilate fear, insecurity, and lostness. The fundamental issue in our country today is simple. Nobody reads the Bible anymore. That's the fundamental issue. Nobody actually sits down because everybody's too busy. I just saw another statistic. Uh, I'll give you two of them. The average, I want to say it's a teenager. Now don't quote me, but it's probably true with teenagers. The average teenager spends upwards, on average, of seven hours a day in front of a screen. You know, geez, if, I could, if we could just get one hour and trade one of those out for the Bible. Or the average person looks at their phone between 20 and 500 times a day. I did a little, I, was, I had to go get my car registered today. Not registered, um, inspected today. Um, and I, I was on this strip of road, and I was kind of like, <laughs> and I noticed someone texting and driving. And I said, I'm going to do a little study right now. I'm going to count every person that I see on their phone that goes by me. Three out of nine. Just a random sample. Three out of nine. Texting and driving. And if you really want to see texting and driving, go out when everybody's leaving for work in the morning. Everybody's texting and driving. Everybody. You know what I'm saying when I say everybody. Not everybody. Anyways... Nobody reads the Bible anymore, even so-called Christians. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that a disproportionately high number of so-called Christians read devotionals more than they read their Bibles. I'd be willing to bet that a disproportionately high number of so-called Christians read devotionals more than they read their Bibles. Why is that? Laziness, fear of being confronted with hard truth, emotionalism probably. So here's the side note for this evening. Uh, thoughts on devotionals. I've been asked about this in the past. And I don't have a necessary hard line on it. But the Spirit's pretty firm on it. And I hope you get what he's going to say to you this evening. Devotionals should always, always, always be read with caution. Always. Unless a person is reading their Bible faithfully, they ought not be reading a devotional. They should always, in the first place, and now I'm speaking to you on behalf of God the Holy Spirit. This is not Ed Collins. This is God the Holy Spirit. They should always be read with caution. Unless a person is reading their Bible faithfully, they shouldn't be reading one at all. Here's why. It's not a devotional's job to interpret the Bible. It's the Bible's job to interpret a devotional. If you lack Scripture in your soul, if you lack the proper preparation in your soul and you read a devotional more than you read the Bible, what you're going to end up doing is letting the devotional interpret the Bible and not vice versa. And that is extremely, 
extremely dangerous. But that's what people like. That's why people like devotionals. It caters to emotionalism. While so-called devotionals may serve as friendly little reminders and perspectives to devoted Bible readers, though hardly necessary, that's always been my advice, though hardly necessary, you might get something, I don't know, I don't read them, you might get something out of one, you might get a perspective, but I don't want you to use those perspectives as interpreters for truth. You can quickly stray. So while so-called devotionals may serve as friendly little reminders and perspectives to devoted Bible readers, though hardly necessary, they can and do supplant the Word's rightful place in the soul for those who barely or never read their Bible. That's the danger. That's the danger. On a more practical note from a concerned pastor, up here on the board, remember no person, for example a writer, someone who writes one of these things, no person will ever be responsible for delivering another person. Only the Spirit in the Word is powerful enough to do that. Quips, themes, and anecdotes, or anecdotes regardless of how well packaged or presented, will never replace plain truth. It doesn't matter how attractive a devotional is or how well written. I've read some, and they are very well written. But there's a lot of atheists that are good writers too. And so you can't put your stock in it in a situation or, or in the truth of something just or in a in a literary device just because it's well written. So no person, no writer will ever be responsible for delivering another person. Only the Spirit in the Word is powerful enough to do that. Quips, themes, and anecdotes, regardless of how well packaged or presented, will never replace plain truth. Again, the key principle is it's not a devotional's job to interpret the Bible. It's the Bible's job to interpret a devotional. What I've seen in most devotionals is a play on emotions coupled with a single cited verse at the bottom of the page. That's usually what it is. A little book or something, this big, this big, you choose some quip, some something, and then a single cited verse at the bottom. And there's often, the text from the verse is often not even there. It would just be like, you know, 1 Peter 1, 5 or something like that. But you see, that's in keeping with the nature of a so-called devotional in the first place. I mean, I was thinking about this a lot. There are some people writing these things, proclaiming they are listeners of God, hearing Him as a direct revelation. And they're making millions of dollars doing so. For example, there's a popular devotional called Jesus Calling. I think some of you know it. It's written by a woman by the name of Sarah Young. So here's a little known fact about that book. In the first editions of the devotional, she is quoted as attributing her inspiration as coming from a book from the early 1900s called, called uh, God Calling, written by two anonymous women who called themselves listeners. Now, the Bible calls such people prophets, or in the case, or in this case, if it's women, uh, prophetesses. But as we know, God has already spoken. Yet, these two women use the occult practice of automatic writing, it's called, to write this so-called godly book called God Calling. 
Sarah Young, the author of Jesus Calling, is quoted as saying, quote, These women practice waiting quietly in God's presence, pencils and paper in hand, recording the messages they received from God. This little paperback became a treasure to me. It dovetailed remarkably well with my longing to live in Jesus' presence. Now, interestingly enough, you won't find this um, reference in today's version of Jesus Calling to Miss Young's inspiration. And that's very interesting. Why? Because once the book began creating a buzz, I mean, I could write a book tomorrow and no one would ever read it. God knows that happens. And it's full of truth. And it's full of scripture. But once a book begins creating a buzz, selling millions of copies, concerned pastors like myself actually start taking notice, digging their heels into it to, you know, protect the flock. And what has been agreed upon by any pastor worth their salt is that this little book that has sold over 15 million copies and increasing in sales all the time, well, let's just say it's a very dangerous proposition. It appeals to millions, especially women, as most devotionals do, being emotional in nature. The premise of this book, and here's the problem, the premise of this book is similar to the one that inspired it. The one written by the so-called listeners practicing occult tactics to receive so-called direct revelations from God. The author of Jesus Calling claims to be speaking as Jesus in the first person. This person has yearned for something more than God's inspired word. And some of you um, who know of the book might be like, well, I didn't know this. And that's understandable. But you see, that's the danger that I'm getting at. That's the danger that I am getting at. And this isn't about picking on one book. This is about the danger of devotionals. They're always packaged nice. They always look well. And they're always, you know, ones like this one, obviously, they're selling off the shelves. That's the danger I'm getting at. It's one of the primary reasons God anoints under-shepherds. To protect dumb sheep from such things. And that's what I'm doing. I'm protecting dumb sheep from such things. Let me give you some more perspective from the Spirit on this. The danger that inherently exists in devotional never exists when we read the Holy Bible. Unless you have time to read both, you should only be reading one, the Bible. And even then, you ought to proceed with extreme caution. I'm trying to protect you. The danger that inherently exists in devotionals never exists when we read the Holy Bible. Unless you have time to read both, you should only be reading one, the Bible. And even then, you ought to proceed with extreme caution. Just some final thoughts on this. Be exceedingly careful about reading devotionals. They are not the Word of God. They are not the Word of God. But I often hear people talk about devotionals as if it were. They are not the Word of God. They are mostly not written by anointed men of God. They should never be given in place of the Bible, and certainly not as a softer approach to evangelism. Where in the Bible does it say we have to make 
evangelism soft? Where does it say we have to dig into a devotional written by someone who's inspired wrongly nonetheless, by ungodly sources nonetheless? Where in the Bible does it say that should open up the door to an appropriate conversation with an unbeliever? That's just man doing as Peter tried to do. I'll make a difference. I was telling Scott today, um, I remember hearing uh, a pastor say one time he went to a, um, one of those big uh, revival evangelism meetings where everybody claims 5,000 people are saved like every time. And uh, this pastor recalls meeting with the so-called evangelist afterwards, one-on-one. And the evangelist said to this pastor, give me any human being on the planet for 10 minutes and I'll save them. What? Really? Really? Be exceedingly careful about reading devotionals. They are not the word of God. They are mostly not written by anointed men of God. They should never be given in place of the Bible and certainly not as a, quote, softer approach to evangelism. This is in alignment with what's been coming from the pulpit for quite some time now, up here on the board, servants of the Most High. God doesn't need help in softening the blow when it comes to the truth in the Bible. He only needs faithful servants willing to serve His meals, rejecting the temptation to salt them along the way. It's not our job. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? It's not our job to make the gospel more palatable. It's our job to present it accurate, and that's it. You can't do that with a devotional. You can't soften a dead heart with a devotional. An unbeliever needs to be brought to their knees. And that's by the power of the Word of God, with God the Holy Spirit there doing that very thing. Not you, O great evangelist, with your ungodly book in tow. Do you understand what the Spirit's saying? We are not to salt the gospel, make it tastier. No book has ever done that. There's only one book. You might be saying to yourself, aren't we blowing this a little out of proportion here? I mean, we're just talking about devotionals. No. Might I remind you up here on the board, 2 Corinthians 11, 14 to 15, this is the living version. <laughs> Satan can change himself into an angel of light, so it is no wonder his servants can do it too and seem like godly ministers. Am I saying that every author of a devotional is one of Satan's agents? Not at all. But at any time, Satan can use them as instruments of unrighteousness. That's what we learned when Peter used human rationalism to, you know, help Jesus not go to his cross. And we know what Jesus said to the apostle Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Your mind is set on human things. But this will just make, you know, it'll make my evangelism that much easier. Really. Really. Some person who's listening to another spirit is going to make your evangelism easier. Some person whose writings are inspired by someone in something ungodly are going to make your evangelism easier easier how does that work you show me that in the bible and i'll teach it but it's not there that's the point what he's trying to do is re-equip us and make it simple and let us present the truth 
And let God the Holy Spirit have that conversation, that difficult, humbling conversation with an unbeliever. But we are not to stand in the way. So as is the case with, or when anyone proposes they are a direct mouthpiece for the Lord God, whose word has already been signed, sealed, and delivered, we have a problem. One last thought on the idea that some might use a devotional as the, I don't know, an icebreaker instead of Holy Scripture. No devotional has ever saved a person, nor has it ever convicted them outside the basis of whatever truth it might contain. That is, only the Word of God convicts, not some human being's interpretation of the Bible. Not some human being's interpretation of the Bible. If you're mature enough to read something like a devotional, and you're reading your Bible and you're secure enough and you're able to interpret what the author is saying, if it's even righteous, and some of it's questionable as I'm obviously alluding to, if you're mature enough to be able to read a devotional and interpret what God wants you to interpret to get out of that thing, that's between the Lord. But do not suppose that an unbeliever has that ability, or even a new believer has that ability, because they don't. Those people should be submitting to a pastor, an under-shepherd, an anointed man of God, not someone who claims he's listening and speaking as Jesus himself or whoever. here on the board God saves based on pure truth he doesn't need help from human writers to make his perfect word more palatable or digestible we evangelists that should be plural ought never muddy the waters we ought to give people truth nothing less so this little sidebar is not a rail I swear to you it's not a rail against some book like Jesus Calling Though you should know that I don't care for that particular book, nor do I recommend anyone read it or give it to others as a habit. This sidebar is a long overdue word of caution to those of you who might find your daily studies more focused on a devotional than the word of truth. I don't want a devotional taking the place of the word of God in your life. Is that fair? That's, that's what the Spirit's saying here. And if you read your little devotional more than you read the Word of God, I'm telling you to your face, you have a problem. As I stated earlier, while so-called devotionals may serve as friendly little reminders or perspectives to devoted Bible readers, though hardly necessary, they can supplant the Word's rightful place in the soul for those who barely or never read their Bible. Sarah Young, and nobody, anyone like her, is never going to take the place of the Word of God, ever. And the key takeaway from this little sidebar is this one. It's not a devotional's job to interpret the Bible. It's the Bible's job to interpret a devotional. If you're a devoted devotional reader, no pun intended, it's kind of quiet in here. Why is that? A lot of devotional readers do I have? If you're a devoted devotional reader, please pray on this with a humble heart. And see for yourself why the Spirit had me teach on this subject this evening. As I prayed before class, this lesson was ordained for you and you and you. Everyone here tonight was meant to be here tonight. And it was ordained from eternity past. So don't be shocked. And God's timing is perfect. 
And God only knows why. I have no idea why this is so important to the Spirit right now. I mean, I do. I have my ideas, but I don't know specifically, right? So uh, pray on it with a humble heart. That's what I ask of you. As always, if you have any questions for me, please don't hesitate to reach out to me directly. I'm always available to chat about such things, honestly. I'm totally open to chat about any of this. All right. Enough of that little sidebar and the dangers of devotionals. But I do want to add a little connective tissue to our previous lessons. Some might argue that um, they do something like read their devotional whenever they get a little down or depressed, and it helps. I get it. I mean, I guess in some ways it's not much different than, um, you know, when someone sends you a nice text or something like that, although I would argue that the best texts are Scripture. Just send me some Scripture in the morning, right? I mean, I don't, want, I don't need anyone's interpretation, so to speak, but you know what I'm saying. <clears throat> Sometimes they would argue that, hey, my devotional helps when I'm a little down or depressed. And it helps. And the fundamental question is why? Why? I mean, I'm not supposing that God can't work deliverance through such a scenario. I'm just asking the basic question. Why would reading some other text than Holy Scripture help? I mean, why would reading some other text than Holy Scripture help? I mean, stated differently, what is it about imperfect writing that is able to supposedly deliver a person in a way that perfect writing can't? What is it about someone's imperfect writing? And I'm going to tell you, if you're inspired by a, a couple of uh, ancient or old school occultists, um, your writing is imperfect. What about imperfect writing is able to supposedly deliver a person in a way that perfect writing cannot? Is that a fair question? That's a fair question. To quote our head deacon here at North Christian Church up here on the board, Deacon Todd Johnson, I've learned that the only book I ever need to read is the Holy Bible. If I want truth, need encouragement, need reminding, reorientation, then I know where I go for deliverance. Let me say it again. This is your head deacon who doesn't read devotionals either, by the way. I'm telling you, it's almost exclusively women because of the emotional side of it, but that's neither here nor there. I've learned that the only book I ever need to read is the Holy Bible. If I want truth, need encouragement, need reminding, reorientation, then I know where to go for deliverance. And you know where he goes? To the Bible. That's where he should go. That's where we should all go. I don't want to go to some listener to tell me what Jesus says to me. And I couldn't agree more with Deacon Johnson. The point the Spirit's been making for some time now is simple. And DJ captured it perfectly for us, which is why I just shared that with you. What the Spirit's also been telling us is that the more we wander from this basic approach, that one, that approach right there, the more we wander from that basic approach to godly sanctification, the more we suffer. Because some person who writes a devotional is not equipped to deliver you. I'm an ordained man of God, speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ right now. Not him. I'm not proposing I'm him. Speaking on behalf of him, <clears throat> and I don't propose to deliver you. My only hope is that 
When I do my job, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit delivers you. But to suppose anything inside of any devotional, crooked, straight, perverse, otherwise, is going to deliver someone more able than the Bible itself is a missed approach to godly sanctification. That's the point the Spirit's making. And reflect on um, one particular topic that's been coming from the pulpit this past week. Um, Depression has come up several times now in our lessons. And remember, God's timing is perfect. So depression has come up several times now in our lessons, not because I'm some clinically qualified person to speak about every facet of the issue. I'm not. But rather to point out that real maladies do exist as a result of straying from the Word of God in any way at all. You see... That's always our temptation, isn't it? The flesh is arrogant, so it does as Miss Young has done. Seek something more than the Word, something greater, something deeper, etc., than the Word itself. But that's the trap you see, and it's infectious, and it's damaging, especially when it comes to salvation proper especially when it comes to salvation proper. Especially when it comes to salvation proper. Hence one of our running principles. We have a problem with the arrogant, not the broken. So you can take advantage of a broken person with emotionalism. Do you understand what I'm saying? I'm trying to protect those people from the arrogant people who take advantage of them and some of them to make millions of dollars to boot. I have a real problem, as does any under-shepherd worth his salt, anyone who's willing to stand up for truth and not sit around while a sheep are led astray by ungodliness, all in the name of Jesus So we have a problem with the arrogant, not the broken. Contrary to popular Christian practice, God does not win souls with emotionalism. Evangelizing is not about emotionalism. That's what you see at those big charades called revival meetings with the jackass who says, give me me a person for 10 minutes, anyone, and I'll save them. That's emotional garbage. Arrogance in action. So contrary to popular Christian practice, God does not win souls with emotionalism. He wins the way He always wins. With truth. The Bible doesn't say emotionalism, you shall know emotionalism and emotionalism shall make you free, does it? It says you know the truth and the truth will make you free. The good fight. Truth is nothing shy of immutable, making it infinitely impenetrable, unflappable, uncompromising. Soldiers fight for truth no matter what. You're looking at one right now. And by the looks of your mugs, I'm not very popular right now. Do you think that's the first or the last time it'll ever be? That's why we're a special breed, the ones who stand behind pulpits. Soldiers fight for truth no matter what. When emotionalism leads, the truth is always softened and God misrepresented. Again, truth is nothing shy of immutable, making it infinitely impenetrable, unflappable, uncompromising. Soldiers fight for truth no matter what. When emotionalism leads, the truth is always softened and God misrepresented. 
As such, we warriors look like, or we're looked at now like ancient barbarians. Look at this guy. Is he like a one of those battle axes and a a breastplate? Where'd this guy get shot out of? What cannon did he get shot out of? <laughs> I was reflecting on the future. I wonder how soft people are going to view the Lord when He comes and wipes out any and all who stand opposed to Him. You know, Him, the very fullness of grace and truth. Um, here's some scripture for you. Revelation 19.21 And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Hey, that's a nice scene. Why is this verse never included in so-called devotionals? I'm serious. Why is that Never chapter one of a devotional. That alone, the way it stands, especially if I had the original language up there, would have more truth in it than any devotional in its entirety. One verse. Why is it not in any devotionals? Because it's not palatable enough. You can't sell that. You can't sell that 15 million times. <laughs> unless, you, unless you're selling the thing like those uh, guys on television that are always talking about doomsday. Then you're selling a different product, right? Like fear-mongering and these weirdos that are always studying the you know, future end prophecies and Armageddon. And nobody has Armageddon, right? It's the bizarro land, right? If you're selling that, then this is great. If you're trying to sell emotionalism and a devotional to young ladies, that's not going to cut it. You're going to maybe sell 15 for 15 cents each after you gave away the first 15 for free. Why is that never the opening chapter? Too harsh for popular consumption. Just like Jesus. Too much. Too real. Too distasteful for popular consumption. Sound familiar? And by the way, that's talking about him. Where's he in the devotionals after his name? While there's always a place for understanding and even sympathy, all that we fight for must be anchored and balanced in truth. And the purest repository we have is the Holy Bible. It is not obvious my job never seems to be easy nowadays, but I have a joy set before me. This is true. The Spirit's teaching you to have the same joy set before yourselves also. And he's saying that you find it, along with your reasons for living, even, in the pages of the Holy Bible. We are not made in the images of Sarah Young. We are not made in the images of you choose the author, or this one, or that one. We are... Made in, the, in His image. We are to reflect His perfect purpose. His Word. That's where we get our sustenance. The Spirit's teaching you to have the same joy set before yourselves also. And He's saying that you find it along with your reason for living even in the pages of the Holy Bible. The writer of Hebrews spoke to this kind of encouragement that I've been giving you. Go to Hebrews 10.23. Hebrews 
Hebrews 10.23. This is what real encouragement looks like, my friends. It's honest, it's filled with integrity, and it's backed by Scripture. Hebrews 10.23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That's what I'm doing. Some of you may be like, I'm not feeling it. Well, that's between you and the Lord. But that's what I'm doing. Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of son, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I guess what the Spirit's guarding against in all of this is ensuring that we aren't feeling guilty even about being honest in our evangelistic efforts that being just flat out honest is the very best medicine you can give someone I don't want you to hang on an anecdote of mine do you understand I still have an insecurity about writing blogs That's why if you see, they're always stuffed with Scripture. Because the last thing I want you to do is hang on my words. I just want to give you some perspective to think about. Maybe another angle. That's why we have conversations. That's why we have Bible studies. That's all good. But if that becomes your Bible, if that becomes your truth, you're missing the point. And then if you start allowing people that are not ordained, not anointed men of God, to teach you, and to lead you. Like some of these devotional writers. Now you're inviting even more problems into your life. And you wonder why you can't get it straight. Why do I like reading this book and not listening to Pastor Ed anymore? Why is Pastor Ed so irritating lately? 48 years, I haven't changed. Why, Kathy... Why is he so irritating? You know why I'm all of a sudden irritating when I teach the God's honest truth? It's because it conflicts with what you're picking up in your devotionals, some of you. And you don't like it. You like the emotional aspect of extra-biblical stuff. You like how it caters to your emotionalism, to your feminine side, to your soft side. Pastor, he's always so harsh. He's so harsh. I need this, I need this softer side, too. Stop being so dumb. Learn your lessons and we could talk about some, you know, less harsh stuff for once in a while. Be easier on me too, I'm just saying. But should we be guilty about being honest? Go to Galatians 4.16. Galatians 4.16. Galatians 4.16 I swear to you, I'm not judging a single soul in here. I'm not interested in doing that. I want the Spirit to guide you on this topic. Because I have faith that if you listen, you'll end up in the exact same place where I'm at which is the the most tasteful thing you ever want, is just the Word of God. That's why I put DJ's thing up there. You just want the truth. And the only place to get the truth is the Word of God. Galatians 4.16, so I have become your enemy by telling you the truth. Paul's like saying, is this what it's come to, seriously? I gave you the truth, and now I'm your enemy? You'd rather listen to someone who's stroking your ego or stroking your emotionalism or stroking your feminist side or whatever the heck you got going on in there. Here's what I'll give you. And and just for the record, this, um, this point on the board has been in my notes for a month. We just would come up to it and I'd run out of time. 
We'd come up to it, I'd run out of time. We were running out of time. Guess who was waiting for tonight? It's funny how that works. But I didn't want you to think it was like a new thing. Like this really has been in my notes for like a very long time. He just was waiting for the right time to present it, obviously. Honesty is not judgment. Never confuse sound encouragement with legalistic prodding. One is honesty. The other is judgmental. If the Lord desires that we stimulate one another to love and good deeds, then let us be honest with each other about everything. Let us be honest. And where do we find the baseline? Right here. Who gets to decide what's right and wrong? This does. So if we're going to rally around something, should it be something that's not the Bible? Or should it be something that is the Bible? Should we be thrice removed from the Bible? Many of you have been there. Oh, I'm too lazy to check on these doctrines that I got from this well-respected, well-sold, so-called theologian. So I'll just take whatever he gave me and I'll build on it. And then I'll be out here like thrice removed from the actual word because I was too lazy to do my own fact-checking. See, we'd make terrible uh, journalists, right? We wouldn't do our own fact-checking. Nobody wants to do their own fact-checking. They just say, oh, yeah, look at this book I got. Look at this little devotional I got. Oh, it says all this. Oh, yeah. Oh, and there's a citation at the bottom. I'll just, I mean, there's no scripture with it. It just says, you know, 1 John I don't know, 2, 4 or something. It says it right there, so obviously the author's totally being honest. Really? Really? Been there, done that. Let us be honest with each other about everything. Again, have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? All right, I only got a couple minutes left. With whatever time we have left this evening, uh, yeah, let me let me pick up a little bit where we left off on Sunday, just to sort of tighten the shoestrings. For starters, we must remember big picture now. Okay, everybody, just sort of relax, because I'm telling you, you guys look really almost like where did this come from? What do you mean, where did it come from? The same place they all come from. It's the same place. Big picture, we must remember the impetus for all our lessons since the end of 2015. Tonight's lesson, yesterday, the last lesson, they're no different. They're all meant to amplify something, a good work that we began as a congregation with the guidance of the Spirit back in October of 2015. I call it the Gospel Reload. You can call it whatever you want. But here's what the Spirit and tonight was about satanic agency to pervert core gospel definitions is to do the work of the devil well first and foremost by implication who's the one who evangelizes a writer or the writer some other spirit that inspires ungodly works or the spirit who inspired this work I mean, who's the authority on the gospel in the first place? Satan is extremely intelligent. Extremely intelligent. And usually when something becomes super-duper popular, there's a good chance that it's salted with something satanic. To pervert core gospel definitions is to do the work of the devil. Up here on the board, John 10.1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he is a thief and a robber. Why do some attempt to widen the narrow gate? And why do they insist on calling such things acts of grace and mercy and love and 
Ah, you know, it's just so awesome. I get, you know, I just read my extra biblical books and I just feel so good. And I call up my friend Sally and we have these wonderful, heart-opening experiences. And that's grace and mercy and love. What about the one on the horse? Or the sword? The one who's willing to chop down anyone who misrepresents him. What about that guy? Oh, he's not in our devotional. We just talk about him. Matter of fact, we don't even ask him to talk. We've got listeners. Why does all this happen? The answer is to accommodate arrogant mankind. And this, my friends, is true evil. When someone attempts to thwart or pervert God's salvation plan, they are agents of the devil himself. Jesus had no tolerance for anyone who stood in the way of his gospel, even the well-intentioned. That's why I'll never go out on a limb and say, you know, this author or that author is literally, you know, possessed by a demon. That's between them and the Lord. I've even misrepresented the Lord in the past. But you know what I'm willing to do? Call a spade a spade. I'm willing to be honest. I'm going to tell you something right now. Nobody gets to talk for Jesus Christ. Nobody's a listener. Nobody's a prophet or a prophetess. Those days are gone. That's where the other spirit that carries another gospel about another Jesus comes into play. That's what I'm fighting against. And some of you are too stupid and arrogant and dumb to realize what I'm trying to say. And some of you, by the looks of you, are going to take a little time on this. Nope. Go for it. Go ahead, I'm wrestling with God. I'm not even saying that you're not well-intentioned. You're probably following my advice. Have your own convictions, right? Do it. Have your own convictions. Do your own research. See what you find out. Be honest about the landscape of Christianity today. Be honest as to why people are reading more devotionals now than Holy Scripture. Be honest as to why people are trying to open the gospel conversation with something that's not even the Bible, that was inspired by some other spirit. Be honest. When that never works, look back at the landscape. How many people have been saved? by anything other than the, the word of truth. Zero. None. Just look at the facts. That's all the Spirit's saying. Can we just be honest? Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Heck, I'm even honest enough to tell you I'm speaking from personal experience. <laughs> I think I've tried every... I've tried strongholds, uh, you know, Jimmy Superfly Snookers. I've tried, uh, you know, stroking someone's ego. I've tried, you know, cuddling somebody, hugging them. Oh, Jesus loves you. No, Jesus is mad, you know. I've tried the whole spectrum. The only thing that's ever worked is this. Ever. Nothing has ever worked other than this. And you know what's funny about that? That's exactly what this says. 
Amen? Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this wonderful privilege to study your word here this evening. Thank you for always looking out for us, and thank you for always revealing to us ways in which we still need your sanctifying hand in our lives. Father, thank you for, our pa- for your patience with us as we continue to learn. We continue to muck things up along the way, Father, but for we humble, we look forward to each and every lesson you have set aside for us from eternity past. Thank you for sanctifying us. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for having mercy and grace upon us, always pouring it into our laps. Father, we just ask for your blessings as we take the things we've learned out to a lost and dying world. Father, needs it so desperately. We ask these things in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.